Welcome to Speak Sex. I am your host, Eve Eurydice, uh, and my guest today is a wellness coach who specializes in prenatal and postnatal exercise and also toxic exposure and lots of other things. Uh, she's also a certified cobbler, <laughs> which I find the most charming of all of her many accomplishments. <laughs> her name is Ashley Peeler. She's based here in Miami. Uh, welcome to the show, Ashley. Thanks so much, Yuri, for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Um, so, you know, I have been... W- yesterday was Earth Day, and, you know, it, we're in this, like, weekend where everybody's talking and celebrating, uh, you know, the, the initiative, the government initiative of, like, at least beginning <laughs> to address, you know, all of the... Uh, toxic abuse that we have visited on nature in our, you know, in our kind of like uh, narcissistic, you know, understanding of ourselves as users <laughs> and takers rather than, you know, participants in the whole like, you know, game and uh, play of life and nature. So, um, uh, you know, and that, that feels good. <laughs> uh, it, it does seem, however, like um, that, you know, a more systemic change is needed you know not just like uh, spending some money and changing one source of energy for another but kind of like a cultural awakening at the personal level where you know we we might all revisit what we've been taught <laughs> you know about about how to be a good human and and how to be a, you know a good uh, partner and all of that you know uh, what work means uh, how how to create value <laughs> and um and and try consciously to think twice before we do anything because you know the first response is usually the one we've, we've been taught by um, modeling you know from our ancestors um sure. who took some who who you know were indoctrinated <laughs> indoctrinated pretty hardcore um so yeah i think it's a wonderful time you know wh- when we are alive because it feels like it has the potential for so much change if for no other reason, out of like despair, <laughs> right? Like shared, uh, shared uh, terror <laughs> at at uh, the alternative. Yeah. So um, it, I, I feel like you know you do a lot of things. Uh, you you know you uh, are one of these women, and there are many of us. And uh, you know I I think. Um, again, it's part of like what gives me hope. There are many of us uh, who, at some point in our careers, decided to make a you know substantial shift and and work you know in like more heart based um, or like you know traditionally you know if you want to go by like gender stereotypes, feminine fields, mm-hmm. right? So um, if uh, y- your father was diagnosed with ALS and trying to understand what happened, you learned that it was linked to neurotoxins mm-hmm. that were uh, identifiable and like avoidable. So your father's like suffering and, and, and you know, journey became the catalyst for you to, you know, change your career and decide to speak up and share what you were discovering about like toxins in our household and personal care products and food and water and everyday life, you know. Um, And then you became a mother and, and, you know, everything that you learned through that huge journey, (laughs) um, you have also been sharing as a wellness coach um, with your emphasis in like, you know, priest and 
pre and pre and priest. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. There's a priestly element, <laughs> pre and postnatal, um, you know, experience and, and habit and ritual. And that goes head, hand in hand with, um, you know, the understanding of childbirth as a natural, you know, and healthy experience, you know, for a woman's body that doesn't require, you know, to be medicalized and uh, doesn't anesthetized <laughs> and, you know, supervised by, a, a, you know, a, a person who has a, who's an MD. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm, I'm open to tackling all these, you know, however you want. Um, sure. And what, I could ask you, what do you think is the, the greatest need, you know, in your experience? What are people looking for the most? What are they asking about the most? So um, that question, I mean, there's so much that we can talk about because you've talked about, you know, me and my dad and my career and being a mom and working with pre and postnatal clients. Um, I think a worldwide need is that um, we have got to stop being selfish and we have got to start thinking of our planet. I mean, every day should be Earth Day. I know I've heard this so many times, um, but it's, you know, my work, I've always been an environmentalist since a child. I mean, it started, I don't know what prompted it, probably my love of nature. Um, but we are, in this country at least, we're in America, we are such a consumer-driven society that um, we fail to think about the consequences that our consumerism has on our planet. And, you know, it, all it takes are simple mindful choices to really, I don't want to say turn things around because that's a little too late, but to make significant choices in our life that that can affect climate change that can affect our environment in a positive way and that can safeguard a future for our children who are supposed to take care of us so you know it's one thing to have children but there's a reason why we have children not only is it really good for our bodies to have children our bodies were made to have children but you know, when I get old, somebody's going to need to take care of me. And if it's not the society that's taking care of me as a whole, then we hope that your child or your children are going to take care of you. So for me, the immediate need I see um, and the immediate need I hear from my clients is I want to protect my child or I want to protect the child's future. And it's also our future because we're still alive. But we we have to project. It's kind of like looking at goals. When you create goals for yourselves, you don't just look for today and tomorrow. You should be looking at a more long-term objective. And so what I do in my work um, as a toxic exposures expert, which is linked to pre- and postnatal corrective exercise, is I bring awareness to women not only about the potentials, potential daily dangers in their home um, to their body, but also to the body of their child. Right. Um, and then I also um, help them understand that um, mothers quickly want to get back to wherever their, their body was before birth. And they often forget that you've been holding a baby in your body for nine months. You're holding your body differently. You're breathing differently. You're moving differently. You take the baby out and then you have to teach the body again how to function without that baby inside it. You think that you just, oh, you just snap back. Okay, well, now I'm, I'm babyless, so I'm going to get back to my pre-baby body or pre-baby self and it's not that easy you've been using your quads more your front muscles you've had your body pushed forward by gravity because the the belly is pulling downwards so your spine is holding itself in a different way 
your hip flexors have opened up because you have to prepare the birth canal for the baby to come out. Your rib cage opens up to provide expansion for the baby. So all these things take time to get back to a normal state. Even the way that you press on your feet is changed postnatally. And because we don't have any type of post rehab care for for mothers in this country, um, women just leave the hospital after completing the most. Wait, wait, wait! What do you mean by post post rehab? So, okay, so for example, this is well in America, birth is often seen as a medical intervention, an operation. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. If you have a knee replacement. You're going to have probably six months of physical therapy. Mm, yeah. You just pushed a baby out of your body. There is no post-physical therapy. There's no rehabilitation. Mm. It's like, okay, go home. You're you're good. Mm. They maybe stitched you up, but your baby's alive and it's healthy, so you can go home now. And then what do they do? It depends on the person. Maybe mm. four weeks in Barry's boot camp, jumping up on boxes when they shouldn't be. Or maybe they use that time then, you know what, I just had a really hard uh, birth. I'm going to eat and drink whatever I want because I'm breastfeeding and I can do whatever I want. And then they also aren't taking care of themselves. Or no one, no one is giving us this advice of what to do afterwards. And that's where I come in because luckily, well, hopefully, let's say I help them prenatally and then I help them postnatally. I was fortunate enough to give birth in Europe. Um, you know, not only was my birth free, um, they were also more pro natural birth. I was in Belgium. Every country's different, but I was in Belgium. Um, I had free physical therapy before birth. I had free physical therapy after birth. I also had a f free doula or midwife um, that I, well, that I chose, but um, I didn't have to pay for that socialized healthcare took care of that. And so I was, I was lucky enough to have that postnatal rehab to understand that, you know, you've got to get your body back by teaching your body how to move again without a belly, a baby in your belly. And so when I moved back to America nine years ago, I had been working in consumer protection as a lobbyist in Europe, but that's been 21 years ago. Um, well, I mean, not since I finished, but it's been a while. And But the knowledge base was still there because I still continued to follow chemical exposure and what it was doing to our bodies. And, you know, that was right before I moved back um, was when my dad started having symptoms. And then I started doing the research Postmortem, unfortunately, my father passed very quickly after being diagnosed with a um, ALS. Uh, he just wasn't interested in, in being in a wheelchair or being taken care of. Um, and I started doing the research on, you know, ALS and what, you know, what's what's causing this atrophy of the muscular system. And I noticed that bitumen, which is a chemical used in roads, is a neurotoxin and has been linked to ALS. So I started thinking about it and I knew my dad owned a trucking company. Oh, His oh, dad wow. owned a trucking company. He was exposed to asphalt on wow. a daily basis. And we have no regulation in this country. Yeah. Europe has regulation on bitumen exposure. And I actually found it through one of the Europa websites within the European Commission. And I found out, okay, this is this this was this was it. That's what got him. In addition to um, my mother has essential tremors, that is a which she was diagnosed falsely with Parkinson's. Um, this was when I was in college. Um only to discover two years later by another doctor that she did not have Parkinson's. She had essential tremors. Either way, both of those two illnesses are caused by external toxins. Parkinson's are now, uh, Parkinson's disease is now directly linked to the forever chemicals that are used in 
Scotch guard um, and uh, carpets um, and essential trimmers are linked to pesticides, pesticide exposure. And my mother, my grandmother's house was next to a neighbor who showed roses. They had 500 different rose sorts. So we always had fresh cut flowers in our house. It was I mean, my grandmother's house. And I lived there with my mom for a couple of years post my mother's divorce. And um, I realized it was it was very striking and telling to me um, already after grad school, after I'd done a master thesis on toxicity and GMOs, um, that the neighbor, the dad got cancer and died. The son got cancer and wow, died. Wow. There the you go. daughter got cancer and died. There you go. My grandmother had a rare blood disease that's now only linked to glyphosate. Monsanto Roundup, she died. Essential trimmers are caused by Roundup. Yeah. Yep. So my mother has also, she was exposed to those pesticides for years and years. They would spray the whole yard. It'd end up in their drinking water. They shared the same well. It would end up in their airspace. So when I saw that not only one person in my family had been affected directly by um, chemical exposure. But two, I knew that I needed to take the knowledge that I had by working on legislation to help people be protected from these chemicals. And being a mother and knowing that my son's endocrine system, the system that's responsible for his metabolism, his mood and behavior, his immune system, his reproductive organs, that these were all going to be affected. If I expose him to chemicals, I knew I had to continue talking about it. So I've been hosting seminars for now almost nine years on chemical exposure. I started talking in schools then I would talk in companies for lunch and learns. Then I hosted outdoor seminars. Well, outdoors, I mean, out of uh, offices for the public. Um, I've talked in, you know, private membership clubs, Soho House, for example. Um, and, you know, it's not that people people are really interested when I talk about it. It's just not a sexy topic. Nobody wants to hear that their favorite shampoo could cause cervical cancer or that a man's deodorant could cause erectile dysfunction. We kind of just want to like not, not even touch it. And the, the people that are really interested in the conversation are people who have lost family members or mothers and I'm not, or fathers, but I'm just saying family, young families, families who just are having children and they, they know, okay, we've got to protect our child because when, once you have a child, your priorities, you know, change. It's, it's like, okay, now I have to be the best parent ever. I'm definitely not going to uh, repeat the mistakes of my parents. Um, does any of this relate, you know, and the, and, and so they're more open to hearing about, Hey, did you know that your toothpaste may be making you sick or, that cleaning product that you love the smell of because it reminds you of your grandmother, that that causes infertility and migraines mm -hmm. and ADD. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, to get back to your first question was, what do we need right now? We definitely need to know that chemicals are making us sick, right. not just our children, but ourselves. And not to wait until you do have a chronic illness, like an autoimmune disorder, or you can't lose weight. And that is um, also linked to the work that I do with postnatal women, because oftentimes after they breastfeed, after they've been working out and they've, they're eating the diet of a, of a little bird and they still can't get the weight off. They're, they feel hopeless um, because, first of all, our society teaches us that we have to look a certain way. We have to act a certain way. We have to be a certain way as a woman and then as a mother. And then to have it all, to have our career, we have to be a good mom, too. 
And so we have so many layers of expectations that when we can't lose that weight and don't look like Beyonce post-birth, um, we question what's wrong with us. But that weight gain, it might be because of the fragrance in your house that you've been using for the last two years. And there are very few personal trainers, you want to call them wellness coaches, call them exercise specialists that know how to help you move and they might know how to help you eat properly, but they're not looking at stress hormones and how they affect weight gain. And they're not looking at chemical exposure and how that's also causing weight gain. And it's causing a specific type of weight gain. It's a hormonal weight gain because the chemicals that I am talking about are chemicals like flame retardants, pesticides, fragrances, um, and a lot of different cleaners and your personal care products. These all have chemicals in them called endocrine disruptors and which are affecting your endocrine system because they mimic synthetic hormones. They mimic estrogen and they send a signal to your body when you inhale them or when you put them on your skin or when you ingest them that your body is producing enough estrogen. So it messes with your metabolism. It slows your metabolism down. And for men, it can cause a plethora of problems as well because men should not be receiving an influx of, of, of estrogen in their body either. So there, it's also causing weight gain for men. And a lot of people just don't know that. Um, and I'm so glad that a lot of them I catch because uh, I have two postnatal women. They both had uh, babies um, close to the same age, a little one's a little over a year, one's a little under a year. And they both have the same issue. They have been eating religiously healthy food. They've been exercising but they still have some belly weight or belly, you know, or, or, or let's say this even visceral fat around the belly, but that is definitely linked to hormonal changes in the body. And so when you can target that and when you can identify that properly, then you can really get down to helping someone because my work as a pre and postnatal corrective exercise, especially to make sure that moms move safely and help them for birth um, and help them post-birth. But at the same time, you know, a lot of, like I said, a lot of people don't know the, that this, these are factors that are, are inhibiting them from losing weight. And if they don't know, know that, then they think that they're still doing something wrong with their diet. So they just keep eating less and then your stress hormones go up and then it, so it's a vicious cycle. Um, so that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, that was all great. It's, uh, you know, it has a combination of like specific information and details and of course the greater truth. Yeah. So, you know, the, the one thing that I want to, that I kept thinking as you were speaking um, is that, yes, all of that's true. Uh, you know, a, a question that, that I, you know, I think about a lot um, is that, one-on-one, -on -one, you know, if someone actually has the time, the means, yeah, the financial means, you know, um, and, and the wherewithal to get advice and get help. Uh, and then actually remembers to bring up all of this plethora, beautiful word, <laughs> you know, of potential problems um, and, and, and discover them and then question them. Actually, you know, it, so we're talking about unlearning pretty much, you know, the way that we uh, copy each other at existing, which is what we've inherited, which is a lot of unlearning to do. So yeah, if someone does have that, um, then it's a great luxury, but it is a luxury. And a greater question is, how can we um, change the system? How can we change, in general, uh, the, the framework so that we don't have to do so much work per topic? You know, like uh, go back and revisit everything you eat. 
which is easier said than done because, you know, habit. And then go back and revisit, you know, like the way you live, where you live, the air you breathe, indoors, outdoors, you know, um, the way you move, you know, the way you move your body, the way that you judge your body, the way that you value your body. You know, do you look at yourself as a sex object? Is that where you get your, like, self-worth? Where You know, do you look at yourself as, like, a great thinker? Is that where you get your self-worth? Because that's the same patriarchy too, right? So um, it's like an endless, and I think it's super valid. And I think that everyone has to to, to, to participate in that. Uh, And as you said, especially for the sake of our children, you know, especially to try and not model behavior that they will catch. Because it doesn't matter what we advise them with our words, they will do what they watch us do. You know, they will most likely interact with people in their daily lives, in their love lives, in their, you know, eating lives, (laughs) the way they see us do it. Um, So, yeah, like the the system, it seems to me that um, the greater problem is this kind of like corporate accounting system uh, that we, you know, our economy you know, our understanding of our economy is very much based on these valuations of how money is made and what the value yeah. of things is, right? So, mm-hmm. a, 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 you know, an, an obstetrician, you know, a well-known a doctor who will facilitate your birth makes thousands and thousands of dollars more than the, the doula. Um, and, a, you know, a huge corporation has their products all over around you, will ship them overnight. It's so easy and, and familiar uh, because of their PR departments and advertising, right, publicity, so all of that. So, and they hire the teams of chemists to put, like, if we discover one chemical, they'll put something else. <laughs> they'll invent something else. Um and then even, you know, it, it, the, the stock market, which is how we kind of like understand our economy as being healthy, um, uh, is based on this speculation, again, of, of, you know, of profit made off of nature. <laughs> like, you know, we don't count how many trees as much as like when you cut the trees and use them for something and make stuff out of them, right, to simplify. Sure. And then, like, and you know, the the the, the government's I- initiative, the proposal yesterday, um, mentioned basically giving money, tax incentives, which means you have to work and make money to want to take the tax incentive. So you have to work within the system that you just described so beautifully um, to get tax incentives to then change the way you produce you know, energy, <laughs> but again, it's, uh, it's energy-based. There was nothing about, uh, uh, you know, agro, big agro, you know, uh, big farming, uh, how animals are raised. Um, you know, th- there were no, like, actual penalties for the, the, the worst, right, offenders uh, who are abusers of, like, you know, our, our fellow li- life. <laughs> creatures <laughs> uh, and 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 no comment at all about this extreme you know corporate centralization where in order to get work to make a living to be able to afford these basic things that you just mentioned we have to be close to each other in urban centers or near some you know some supermarket we can't be growing our own food like who's going to do everything uh, we can't be out in you know where there is plenty of oxygen <laughs> right so mm-hmm. it's like the the system feeds it on itself and sure. and we fight it and we have to fight it uh you know at at all costs because as you say you know we owe this to ourselves and our and our you know and our family and our children um but it is important to also understand it's not one or another, <laughs> that's why you do so many things, you know, and you could be doing a hundred times more, <laughs> you yeah. know, because sure, sure, sure. it's a, such a systemic, um, it's, a, it, it's a systemic kind of like bombardment um, yes. that keeps so, us hostage. So, you know, um, 
this is maybe a, a good current analogy of um, what you were just talking about, just in a different um, subject. So, you know, we know of the George Floyd case and the fact that Derek Chauvin, the, the policeman who murdered him, has been charged with murder. This wasn't yes, just like three days wasn't, ago. This wasn't justice. This was accountability. It's mm -hmm. different. Mm hmm. So um, we can make as citizens of the world, but particularly of the U.S., since we're, we are both based in the U.S., we can make small steps towards changing this consumeristic lifestyle that we've been living all the time in order to protect ourselves and our families from chronic illness. That does not mean that we are going to change corporations that are creating BPA and plastic, and now it says BPA-free, but they've created BPE and BPS, just more endocrine disruptors called something else. However, it's all about education. And so this case that I just mentioned, this murder case that um, has finally finished and maybe allowed a little bit of um, time to heal some wounds, it doesn't fix the systemic problem. It's just, so, you know, I'm not going to be able to clean Flint, Michigan's water by using cloth diapers on my baby. But I am going to improve the water around me immediately. Any little step that you take to reducing chemical exposure in yourself is directly going to affect me because the vicious cycle about toxicity of corporations producing the chemicals and of us ingesting, inhaling, absorbing the chemicals is a vicious circle. Anything that you put on your body is going to go into the drain or anything you eat is going to go in the toilet and it is going to link up in our aquifers and it's going to end up in our drinking water. So we could just get the whole U.S. to start filtering their water. They'd be much happier, healthier people if we just start right there. And that's something that could take take place today. Now, you know, I worked in politics, so um, European politics. I know the ins and outs of how European politics work. I know what goes on in US politics and we aren't going to be able to save our, our planet in four years. I mean, we needed the first hundred days of a current administration to try to rectify some of the damage done to, particularly to the environment. Um, but these baby steps are major steps for the environment. You know, it's not just using paper straws now and, and not using plastic straws. But if we could just stop using synthetic fragrance, that would be a game changer for oh, our yeah. water. Oh, yeah. Any fragrance <laughs> or, you know, plastic. If we could just stop using all plastic, I mean, wow, you know. Or, I mean, or like, you know, own, Amazon, like nonstop Amazon boxes. <laughs> or... Um, you know, or even like make choices based on money. I mean, to me, like that's a huge hack and it's a tough one. It's tough. It could be the toughest one, you know, because it's not just about, oh, if I do this job, uh, you know, which is, a, you know, a job that would, would make me more money, I will be safer, uh, even though if I look closely at it, it affects the environment and life. You know, once again, I participate in that system. Um, but it's not just about money. It's also like the social respect, you know, uh, like like we were saying about that doctor, that MD, you know. So you meet someone and you say, what do you do? I'm a doctor. I'm a pediatrician. I'm an obstetrician. What do you do? I'm a doula. Like who gets respect, you know, like I, you know. I, I felt it so much in my career because like I was a, a university professor at Brown University. And that was when I had my maximum respect. I'm sure you understand what I'm saying <laughs> from from society at large, like being introduced to someone. Oh, you know, then I was like a writer and I wrote for Spain and I published with like Simon Schuster. I still get respect, but not the same. Right 
then uh, I chose to keep my child and I switched to like being an artist and, and had an art studio here in Miami because I had to be, I wanted to be with my child, much less respect. Then I stopped making like collages and painting and I focused on stitching and embroidering again in like that whole quest of like, you know, the foremothers and finding, honoring the feminine, like what fiber artist? I mean, like drop, right? But the, I forget even the podcast. I don't even bring it up. <laughs> but the worst one was being a mom, which is the hardest work. For me, of everything I've ever done, it was by far the hardest labor, and I was very proud of it, and I did it on my own, and I was very proud of it. And yet, you know, if someone asked me what you do, and I said I'm a mom, it was like the most boring, like run-of-the-mill, uh, and what else, like, no social respect at all. That was just like taken for granted, not considered work worthy of, you know, uh, appreciating and respecting. And again, it's partly because like no one was paying me to do it, but it's it's such a much more important contribution, you know, to humanity at large, you know. Um, and I feel it's the same with like, let's say the doula, you know, or, or, or the, the local farmer who will get no respect. It's like, you know, but they are actually saving us. So, you know, teachers, mothers, um, nurses, doulas, midwives, they're, they're so, um, under respected. I mean, regardless if you want children. Somebody's got to pay for you when you get older. So, you know, you, we must have children, <laughs> healthy children take care of us. And there's a big problem because this is the first generation, this, this generation that is being born right now. They're not pandemic babies. They're called Roundup babies. This is the first Wait, generation. Roundup? Monsanto glyphosate. So this, they're called Roundup babies. Because one out of every three children now have an autoimmune disorder. One out of every three. This is the first population or generation that will not outlive us. That is a problem. That is horrific. That's a global, that's a global problem. That's a pandemic. That's horrific. That's I epidemic. mean, that's a statistic I haven't heard, but that is horrific. If our children, so, or the children born now cannot outlive their parents. That's just an unimaginable. And this, this is also very country specific. So um, it's not just happening in the U.S. It's happening in the countries that have lax regulation against chemical exposure. South America. Central America, China, um, parts of Asia, Europe, Australia, New Zealand. I mean, they're not, they're not pure. They're not completely clean. But I think because they are maybe newer countries, and of course, Europe is much older than America. But I mean, the, the European Union as a solidified union made steps to protect their citizens by linking up DG Sanko, which is for the health, DG Environment, which is for the environment, REACH, the chemical com uh, organization for on chemicals, the European Food and Safety Authority, that all four of these, in addition, they, they also work with other DGs, other, other uh, government bodies within the commission, to create legislation that is based on the precautionary principle that we not sell things on the European market without them being third party tested. Whereas U.S. maintains a completely different policy on legislation. Let's sell a product. If it makes people sick, we'll take it off the market. Now, you know, that's an opinion which one you think is best, but I feel much safer in Europe when I eat, knowing that dairy products have no hormones in them, beef have no hormones in them, or antibiotics, 
um, linked to those hormones. Um, that phthalates and toys were banned in 2001. It took America almost six years when they knew these chemicals were deforming babies. They still allowed toys to be made with this toxic chemical, which is found in fragrance. DuPont, 40 years in the U.S. If you've ever seen Dark Waters, the documentary, you know, it's Aaron Brockovich, exonified. I mean, it, it, is, it is sick that a chemical company is still allowed to even function after poisoning 70,000 people in a town and knowing for 40 years that the chemical they were using for Teflon was making people sick, deforming babies in utero of women in their line working for the company. And that court case in 2021 is still ongoing. They are still refusing to pay the, the, the people in this little town in West Virginia compensation for poisoning them. So it's going to take more than, yeah, more than us. But, you know, we're not brain. that far removed. I feel like, you know, our, our foremothers, you know, we're not that far removed from the generation that didn't have that, you know. So if you look True. back to it, like, okay, the 1950s, it's like post-war, the war changed the American economy. And so post-war with the 1950s, we have both like the shrinkage of the family to like the nuclear family rather than multi-generational, you know, support by the women in the family. Um, with, you know, the multi-generational usually came with like a little garden, like the Depression era, you right, gardens, you know. And where, where I grew up in Greece, there was always the garden, there was always the grandma, and there was all, and so there was access in that way to the way things were done, you know, the traditional way, which was healthy. We didn't have those products. If you don't have access, yeah. you don't have access. You know, we're on a little yeah. Greek island that, that it's not an option. Um, and, and so you live off the earth, really. Um, and, and in the 50s and the 60s, there was that huge change with the centralization and building and corporate culture and right um but still it's so close to us and and we can keep the the good so to speak and and you know go back to what we had that made sense if we just kind of stop finding the easiest solution you know like we like uh, um let's say the internet gives us access to each other, to more than knowledge, and to like small producers of like better options and healthy things again, um, and also to the knowledge of how to do it for our, ourselves. You know, if we if we make this choice of like making less money the normal way <laughs> and more wealth, you know, by our lifestyle, more wealth <laughs> for for everyone. Yeah, but I rem uh, in my you know in my own like uh, family, for example, generations after generations of like the women gave birth under the olive trees, you know, um, and they breastfed. And if they ran out of milk, my grandma Eurydice, uh, her fifth child, uh, her her husband died while she was pregnant, and like she didn't have milk, and she gave my dad to another woman in the town who was breastfeeding at the time. So she, you know, the, the woman became his nursemaid. You know, they, that was very common. Um, my mom, which is just a tiny generation, I mean, my mom, like, was uh, married, you know, with a matchmaker, through a matchmaker. So it's still a, a pre, you know, it was the sexual revolution had happened here, not quite there. But even so, you know, the 50s and 60s had happened. So when my mom gave birth, she was taken to a hospital, you know, a doc, a male doctor removed mm -hmm. me out of her and put me in an incubator. <laughs> um, and then by the time I was out of the incubator, I mean, she was scarred, you know, cat and scarred. And by the time I was out of the incubator, they had shown her a powder, you know, the, the mixed milk um, powder, formula, formula. 
um, whatever was available that had gotten all the way to the island of Lesbos, <laughs> um, and uh, told her, the doctor, told her that A, he saved her life, right, and B, um, this was better. She didn't need, you know, it was too difficult making milk, and she'd been through a lot, you know. Uh, but okay, so I, it's my generation, um, I should have, like, when I got pregnant, and I, I you know, I, I kind of like, you know, the way I think you are like this too, you know, I studied, I bought every book and I kind of obsessed about understanding what this was, what was happening to my me and my sense of me. Um, but uh, the first few months, I went to, uh, you know, the best known doctor I, in, in New York and then in Miami <laughs> that my friends could tell me, you know, no one I knew had babies yet. My friends didn't. And then I followed what I was told with like the checkups and whatever, pretty much until the end when I was, an appointment was made, you know, for birth. And I kept insisting natural birth, natural birth. But uh, the, there was an appointment made, you know, and I just something in me felt wrong. And, and thank the goddess, you know, I had already practiced yoga and mindfulness enough to pick up on instinct because it's not stuff that you understand. Like I couldn't put in words mm -hmm. back then, well, you know, but I just felt this is wrong. Um, like I felt no one told me, but like I cut off my hair because it was dyed. <laughs> Right, I I had this sense. Um, so you know, I found a mid midwife, and it was you know I I don't know who told me there was a midwife. It turned out she started the first midwife center of women uh, by a woman in Texas ages ago. By the time I met her, she had a place in Normandy, and she delivered at least 20,000 babies. Then she went on to deliver another 20,000. She moved to Jamaica, I and mean, she's an amazing, amazing, amazing woman. Um, I went to her house, and she was like, you know, this is how you wash your baby. And she pushed aside, like, all the dirty dishes on her little sink in her kitchen and grabbed the newborn and gave him a bath to show me. And, you know, I, I mean, that alone told me it's not such a big deal. <laughs> like, she just, why? <laughs> you know, I was like, it's not such a big deal. Like, take it off <laughs> out of your mind, you know. I, I, so I showed up to her um, with my purse, with nothing. Like, no preparation. I was just like, I'm going to trust her. Um, my doctor, you know, sent me a letter, a legal letter that he was not responsible, you know, if I was going to die and I had to pa pa pa, all the scary legal language. Mm -hmm. So it forced her to like videotape the birth because, you know, for legal reasons. Um, and she put me in the jacuzzi um, and I, it took, I wouldn't, my, my uterus wouldn't dilate. So it took almost 24 hours. She manually dilated it with her fingers and she used uh, evening primrose oil. She gave mm. me nothing. She gave me like maybe three spoonfuls of jello for the 24 hours until she came out, my daughter, you know, who was late, <laughs> like two weeks late. Um, so I gave birth naturally later than I would have with the, you know, the doctor at Mount Sinai here. Um, and, and then she swaddled the kid and gave me, um, a car seat because I hadn't thought I didn't know to get one. I didn't have clothes for her. <laughs> um, and she like gave me my placenta, <laughs> um, you know, which was, which I honor looking back at the time again, I had no idea, you know, what to do with this uh, part, part of my body. But now I honor the fact that this was my, my body and she returned it to me instead of like dumping it in the trash, you know. Um, and, and baby and I went home, you know, and where my dogs waited. <laughs> um, but my point is, it was it all worked out like I, I later she taught me how to breastfeed you know it all works out like if we have faith you know like we have faith in god we have faith in all kinds you know science you know we had enough faith in our scientists to, to stay home for a year right if we just have faith in nature that our bodies are designed to do this thing yeah you know we will live <laughs> it feels like a death but it's just like a rite of passage, you know, of, of, 
it's a it's a an honor i think you know it, of, it's like a age old you know rite of passage motherhood the experience of giving birth you know you break out of who you were uh, in that kind of like becoming two splitting into two <laughs> you know um like like a plant yeah <laughs> um, i'm glad that yeah. you had that experience because that's not the case with my clients it's all medical it's uh and particularly with covid and i didn't tear i did not tear i did not scar nothing happened and my next door neighbor during covid um next door right here she gave birth in her bathtub <laughs> Nice. With you know, with a doula who came over uh, like last August, I'm gonna say. So yeah, I mean, we're doing it. We're doing it here in Miami Beach, you know. Um, and it's it just it's about assuring each other that it's n normal and more normal, like more normal. <laughs> you know. I mean that. Our bodies were made for, and billions of women have given birth before us without medical intervention, without an emergency C-section because the baby seems big. I'm like, what? Like, you don't need a C-section because your baby's eight and a half pounds. That's a completely normal-sized baby, and you also don't need a C-section because your baby's turned. You actually can manually safely move the baby down with with physical manipulation but you know it's all about yeah the doctors the doctors want to plan their their sessions the doctors uh, you know find it well they charge much more but also you know they can like know what's happening they don't like this unpredictability they don't like getting up in the middle of the night any of that right yeah, but if you don't go that route, you d you take you recover much faster because you don't expose your body to so much trauma, and your body and your baby takes her his time. You know they do work too. Like they consciously travel out in their time. You know, slow or fast, everyone's different. <laughs> you know they participate in the pushing out, so they. Their first, I mean, they don't have consciousness as we understand it, but their first experience is one that they will. Like they feel they have to go this way and they are trying to go that way. So they're not in, shocked, you know, they're yeah. and helped and enabled. And when they come out, they're not, you know, they kind of have been looking forward to whatever is ahead so slowing mm. the whole thing down you know even with like the the swaddling rather than dressing them you know slowing it down is good for both because it's such an extraordinary change where like there wasn't a human and now there is an, an, another human right and the cutting of the cord is symbolic but it's it's slow it's really slow you know in in, in fact you know from when they are still part of the mother to when they're not <laughs> so much. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the body takes time to produce the milk and the body, as you said, you know, takes time to return to, you know, familiar sizes and it's never going to be the same, you know, unless again, you know, you go to another doctor and put plastic stuff in, in your body. Um, but it's never, you know, after like, two years of breastfeeding, you're not going to have those perky breasts. And, you know, a woman gets to choose, like, whether or not it's worthy to her to, um, you know, to be and, you know, I, an object I, or, or a subject. <laughs> I think that you made an interesting comment, you know, so saying that you're not going to be the same. So, yes, in a way, your body is not going to be the same. But you can get that. I mean, I feel I was athletic through school. I dance, have a dance minor. Um, so I was, a, I was a fit kid. I, I mean, I had, so it, your body has muscle memory. So that's of course much easier for someone who has been 
active and athletic all their lives and then they have a baby to to find that muscle strength again. Um, but I feel I look even better postnatally after birth. Me too. Because I do have more curves. I have, you know, your your hips get wider, your cage gets wider, your your stomach, I mean your your sides of your waist get thinner. Um and and you can do all that naturally. You don't need, you know, I help women who have diastasis recti, which is a separation of the abdominal wall. And many medical doctors would say, oh, well, you just, you know, come back in and we'll mesh that and sew it up. You don't need to mesh or sew anything up. Like there's, it's, your body can naturally heal itself. You just need somebody that is knowledgeable enough to do that properly and not, you know, have a baby and then go to boot camp because that is definitely not the way you recover your body postnatally in a healthy way. Um, and, you know, I think, again, a lot of stigma needs to go away from that. You know, I'm, I'm not going to look the same or I'm not going to look good. or I'm not. You are. You can. Your body has a way of healing itself really easily down there's like a rubber band it just bounces right back into place um you're you know you're going to to be okay if you make the safe conscious decision to recover naturally and and with someone who is who is a specialist in that so you know i don't want any mother to ever think that they're going to have to you know, put some type of foreign objects inside them to fix them or that they're never going to be able to jump on a trampoline again or that, you know, it's something from behind not going to work anymore. (laughs) It's a a moment actually when we start to add these surgical operations or these medications, you know, why do women tear mostly? Because they can't feel their birth because they're pushing why do you know? Why do they have a hernia? Why do they have that's right. a prolapse? That's right. That's right. That's These right. That's happen- right. These are all happening because some doctor who's supposed to know what they're doing told us, "Let's numb you down there." So then, when you're ready for that baby to come out naturally, the baby doesn't come out naturally. Um, so that's right. That's all you know, so true. Yeah. We create, we and create. even like what you talked about, uh-huh. which we, we, you know, in common words, you know, call incontinence, <laughs> in case, in case, you know, it wasn't clear, it does pass, but we gotta be patient, you know, p- part of it, I think, is that we're in such a, we're so used to like this instant gratification thing, okay, done, next, yeah. We are. Yeah. That has a lot to do with our consumer culture. And also to the digitization of our day-to-day lives. You know, our concentration is getting shorter and shorter, you know, so even in terms of how you market your business, how you sell a product, it's got to be fast, quick, because you've lost people's train of thought a little bit due to the cognitive difficulties you have from looking at digital devices all the time. That's one reason. And then the other reason is, of course, because our digital devices have gotten faster and faster and faster. So we have to keep up and keep up and keep up. But that changes everything in terms of natural processes from farming, from raising agriculture to having babies. We all want to do it all faster, quicker. And that's not going to give you the, 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 the natural sustainable yeah. um yeah the process the process is the best <laughs> it's the dance not the yeah exactly. exactly yeah i think it's very apropos for like earth day you know we do celebrate nature <laughs> in this for conversation sure. yeah and the mother mother earth yeah and the mother there yeah. that are for you know continuing our future because yeah. We make all our mothers infertile and due to these chemicals are making only women who are having girls 
then we're going to have a serious crisis on our hands. The issue here is the value of motherhood and re, you know, revaluing the, the true worth, you know, of mother nature and of mother woman and, you know, appreciating woman for mother rather than woman for a sex object or turn on or like, right, had babe or bride or, you know, everything but <laughs> you know and and you know appreciation includes respect and financial reward like you know somehow paying for the mother's work i think would make a big difference in our accountability as you called it that is what our that is actually what the current administration is working towards you know giving giving mothers some money for having a child like they do in Europe. I mean, there is a, there's a logical reason behind that, yeah. you know, not just yeah. because you've brought a child in the world, but you're, you're, it's, it's a long-term goal again, yeah. back to goal. It's yeah. looking at the child as a long-term vision yeah. for the society as a whole. So if you want a child to thrive, you've got to make sure the mother is okay. Yeah. Yeah. And and the mother, you know, has time to be with her child. <laughs> be a mother. Yeah. yeah. Instead of go back to work a couple yeah. weeks later. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Beautiful. You're Beautiful. <laughs> lots of love. It's been a wonderful discussion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And lots of love to everyone out there who is listening. Uh, come back to us with questions and topics. And until next week, keep speaking sex. Another piece of good news from our sponsor, oldplayground.net. They have a special right now where you can join for three days for $3.99. You can start a profile and you can navigate the site. It's the biggest, most inclusive, most contemporary lifestyle website, uh, in English at least, that (laughs) we know of. And you can have your own exclusive content. Uh, There is a big wall with videos, uh, information, uh, podcasts about uh, sex and intimacy topics, and all kinds of open people with whom uh, you can communicate across the country. So give it a try. This is the chance to do so. And love you all. love incessantly I would be God